Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists. Ruby's live remote receptionists and proprietary technology are your solution to delivering excellent customer service experiences by answering live calls in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, addressing common questions, or making outbound calls for you. Most importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. To learn more, visit callruby.com or better yet, call us at 855 255 Ruby. My guest today is Elizabeth Cologne. Elizabeth is an inspirational speaker, author, and CEO of Metaphrasis Language and Cultural Solutions. She speaks to audiences of entrepreneurs and especially women to empower them to turn their fear into fuel so they can achieve their dreams and embrace their destiny, just like she has done in her own career. Welcome, Elizabeth. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Oh, I'm great. It's so nice to talk to you. And uh, gosh, I'm already inspired by these words, so I can't wait to get into the the meat of your story, your personal story. But just to set some context, um, tell me a little bit about the company. It's a it's an interpretation company, or what do you guys do? Yes. So, Paul, um, with your permission, I'd like to answer the question by starting in the middle, if that's okay with you. You bet. Okay. So, here we go. So, it's almost impossible to watch or read, you know, any sort of news today, sort of with hearing something about culture and diversity and our need to embrace and accept others, not just for our similarities, but also for our differences. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. And at the same time, we are seeing more and more people coming to our country who don't have a mastery of the English English language. So to many people, differing cultures and languages are seen as one and the same, but they actually are not. So when I was a child growing up in a primarily Spanish-speaking home, my siblings and I were often pulled from school to accompany our parents to appointments. You know, that meant stepping into an adult role at the early age of nine to translate information that could have serious, serious consequences. It was somewhat traumatizing and stressful. So imagine putting a child in that kind of position. Furthermore, Paul, I have two sisters who are also from the deaf community. And they spent their childhood voiceless and powerless because they were never heard. Sadly, they were not diagnosed with hard of hearing until they were about in seventh and eighth grade. So this took away opportunities for them to progress in society and to be able to communicate effectively with other people as they were growing up. So as you can see, there's a pattern here. So when I graduated from high school, um, I went straight into working into healthcare, and I was working in a hospital because my my goal was to become a nurse. And so I immediately experienced what I did as a child and I was shocked. Um, I saw secretaries and janitors being pulled and including myself um, to interpret for patients and some other desk and say, hey, come down, we need you. And I remember one case in particular, I was a nursing, I was a nursing student, student and one of the physicians pulled me and he said, you know, Elizabeth, we need to give a diagnosis to this patient that she has cancer. And it was a couple, and they were only Spanish-speaking, and she was also eight months pregnant. And when he started to speak, he started to 
increase his level of terminology to a higher registry as if I were a physician and, you know, I was just a nursing student. And I found myself in a position to, to interpret information and terminology that I didn't know. And, and although I was very fluent in Spanish, I didn't know the healthcare industry. And so I was stuck and I didn't know what to do. And at the end, I just told the patient that uh, she, we were going to cure her cancer and that her baby was going to be healthy and that everything was going to be okay. And I felt this big lump in my throat because I was, I said to myself, what did I just do? And I went into the bathroom afterwards and I cried because I really didn't have the answer and I wasn't communicating effectively because I didn't know how. The good, the good part of this is that she came back a month later and she had a healthy baby boy mm-hmm. and her cancer uh, was taken care of. She had thyroid cancer. So from my understanding, it's one of the most easily cured cancers to have. But that really opened my eyes to communication and language and the opportunities that I had by that learning that I needed to do things differently because I was making poor decisions and people were still going voiceless as a result of it because I'm interpreting information or terminology that I didn't do, didn't know. So Metaphrasis was born in 2007. I started it from my home, like many other entrepreneurs, with the vision of combining the technical skills of interpreting and translating with the software skills of recognizing culture and embracing diversity. That's very important to me. I wanted to make sure that the process of communicating more holistically than the simple and cold verbatim conversation of one language to another, which is what I did in that situation that I just shared with you. So with over 100 languages, including American Sign Language, Metaphrasis Language and Culture Solution is an award-winning language server company that is capable of serving virtually you know, any request or service, service for virtually any type of setting. So we started with the focus on healthcare, and that's initially where I was at, um, and where we provided the accuracy and the humidity of communication. However, owning our skills there, we actually now service a right away of uh, cross sections of industries, including education, government, legal, and corporations. And so we offer on-site and telephonic interpreting, document translation, American Sign Language, and transcription services. Wow. Uh, and that all came from that, that early experience. Now, did you ever complete nursing school or what, what happened uh, back then? Uh, sure. So I was almost there. I was in my fourth year probably two semesters away from my BSN. Unfortunately, I was also, I was a single mother at the time and I had a very asthmatic child who ended up getting very sick on me and I had to choose between caring for my son and my nursing. So I ended up dropping out badly. Uh, but it gave you that incredible education and experience, obviously. Um, that's that's a wonderful what you learned from that first interaction with that patient and, uh, and, a, and a happy ending to that story. Um, today, as you look at uh, what you've done with the company, it's uh, hard enough just to start a company, but you've grown this company now, uh, serving multiple industries. Talk, talk about just uh, in for context, how many employees you have, maybe high level revenues. Mm-hmm. So we currently have five inter- uh, five full time employees that work for us. We do many sectors. However, we have about in the Chicagoland area alone, we have access to two hundred interpreters who make up about 40 languages. And those 40 languages are really the most demand languages that we see in Chicago. But we're bigger than that. We are a national company. And so we have access to over 600 interpreters and translators nationally. And right now our revenue size is around 2 million. 
Uh, well, good for you. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm interested in in kind of technically how this works. And and my former company, Barrel Health, uh, served hospitals uh, all over the country. So I'm very familiar uh, with even companies that that were uh, translation companies in the healthcare field. You talk about incorporating not just the the specific translation, but kind of the cultural elements of the languages and uh, behind all of that. How, how do you manage that with, with 40 different languages? So, yeah, that's a very good question. So the interpreters that are working for us, they, um, come, they come with their own cultural skill sets. Many of our interpreters and translators alike are from other countries. You know, they come here fleeing their country, looking for a better life. And sometimes they're in situations where their professional career, like doctors or lawyers in their country, are not accepted in the U.S., but they know they have strong language skills. And so when they join our Metaphosis company, we, first of all, which is really important, is we assess that for sure, 100%, that they have the proficiency in the language skills to be able to be effective interpreters and or translators. And when they're out there interpreting for us, we require our interpreters to have an industry standard of 40 hours of interpreting training. And in those classes, we teach them how to be what we call culture brokers. And what that means is that if they're put in a situation where the client or the patient is not understanding something or they have a culture belief regarding their religion or having a male versus a female interpreter or treatment, because they have that culture background, we teach them the techniques and how to sort of intervene transparently to inform the, the healthcare provider or client that there is a culture barrier or culture explanation that they need to give in order to create positive outcomes. And it works really well because we can pick up on the cues of an individual by just looking at their facial expression if they're confused or if they start conversing with us because they trust us and they start sharing things. We know how to convey all that information to the client so that there's no breakdown there. Mm, really interesting. And and with five uh, full-time employees and then uh, you know a couple hundred interpreters that you uh, work with, how do you build a a culture in the organization where uh, everybody kind of is on the same page. It's hard to do with a lot of remote people like that. It is definitely. We tend to, we, we like diversity within our company in itself. And we really try to match up you know, or find individuals who want to work with us that really have our same values. I do believe that a lot of the interpreters that join our work, our team is because they know that I, myself, I used to be an interpreter and so they know that I understand their challenges, right? And I'm, I am the president and CEO of Metaphrasis, but I'm also an interpreter and I'm also human. And so we have a really great philosophy in our office is that, you know, you have access to me all the time. Uh, you need to talk about something, they all have my cell phone number, they can call me, right? So I'm not the one growing the company, but I'm also being very human with them and saying, I'm here. I support you. I understand your challenges. Let's talk about this. And we're also advocates for them. One of the things that I value is respect. And sometimes, unfortunately, interpreters are not valued the way they should be out in the field. And we always tell them, you know, we encourage them. If you're in some way or manner like mistreated or you feel uncomfortable in a situation, call, call us. We're going to advocate for you. 
and they appreciate that because freelancing is a, I mean, interpreting is a freelancing field. I mean, you can find full-time work. However, our industry is so unpredictable. It goes up and down with the request per day or the languages that come in that many of them freelance for a lot of companies. And they may not find that feel of being able to trust a company from another company. And so they appreciate that in us. And we try to keep them as informed as possible about the industry and what's happening so that they can prepare themselves. So I think we go a step further than just saying, you know what, we just want your language skills. We recognize them for being people and from understanding their own cultures from, from when they got here as well. Yeah, and they can really identify with you because you're just like them. Uh, now, were you born in the U.S. or in Mexico? No, I was born and raised in Chicago, oh, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. My, my wife uh, is from a big Mexican family, born in Chicago, but spent a lot of her time in California, too. And, and it was interesting watching her parents and the way even they communicated because her mom would only speak Spanish in the house, including when I was there. And uh, her dad only spoke English. And so, uh, yeah, uh, just different different ways to communicate. Um, but, uh, but I really saw the, the culture and, um, and love be, becoming part of that family. Talk a little bit about your family growing up, your, your folks and kind of the influence they had on, on you, as you as you grew up. Yes. So I am one of six. I am the middle child. And my parents um, were born in Puerto Rico. And my, they uh, came to New York and then relocated to Chicago at some point in their lives. But my parents were, were amazing. They, neither of them had an education. They went to school probably up to second grade when they were pulled to work on the farm back home in Puerto Rico. And they didn't speak English either. So like you mentioned about the story of your wife, we only spoke Spanish at home. And that's how we learned how to speak Spanish, which is really pretty fun if you think about it, right, to be able to have a distinct culture in your home. And then when you walk outside into the big world, then you change your language skills to communicate with the, with your friends and such. However, my father, he worked in a manufacturing company and then he uh, stopped working and opened his own mom and pop grocery store. And I remember growing up how he would read the newspaper. And so until this day, I'm not sure if he was trying to teach himself how to read right? Or was he learning the stock market? Because he was mm-hmm. always on the stock market page. Maybe that's where he owned his skills to own a business. I don't know. But one of the things he did teach us, you know, we had to go to the store every day after school and we had to work the store. And it was, you know, it was selling penny candies, you know, and the days when, you know, fishes or the little candies were one cents, you know, we managed that part of the store. But he taught us to be very honest and also you know, to work and have integrity and, and treat people with respect, regardless of their economic status. And one of our stores was located in Inglewood, which is one of the poorest communities right now in Chicago. And I can't say that it wasn't, you know, uh, an area at that time that wasn't a better place. But when customers didn't have money, I would remember I remember him pulling out the spiral notebook, and he would give them what they needed, and then he would just expect them to pay it when they got their checks, right? So, you know, he took a big chance in the community, but regardless, they always came back and paid because they knew that if they were stuck and they needed a gallon of milk or some eggs for their family, my father would give it to them. Mm. My mother, on the other hand, she became a single mother of six and she's she's amazing because she's one of the most patient people that I've ever known. And as an adult myself right now with children, there was a time when I started to reflect back on her own skills and how she did things because I only have two kids and sometimes like, oh my God, how did she do this? She has six, right? 
but she never screamed and she managed to always keep the home clean and meals on the table all the time. And you may have experienced too um, with your wife's family that everything was always homemade from scratch and she always ate right. And that's how she always fed us. And we were always clean. And so she always made her, made us a priority and combined, both of them combined. I think they influenced our upbringing tremendously from how we decided to raise our own children to our own work ethics, to the relationships we wanted to get into, and also the relationships with friends that we have, you know? So, you know, we, we would say certain things like, well, I don't want a man that smokes, you know, or, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, little things that we, that we were taught in home that really influence um, our, our, you know, tremendously our work ethics too, you know? Um, when I jumped into my business, it was a big risk, but I did it because I remember my dad taking that risk. Yeah, that's right. And to go, uh, my wife's dad worked for the same company for 45 years in Chicago, uh, yeah. you know, furniture manufacturing. And and uh, I remember talking to him and sometimes he would tear up at actually the way he was treated uh, yeah. at that company. And um, and so that and yet I'm sure he had a lot of fear. And, and because he was had seven children, you know, he really didn't have a choice to pick up and do something else so that, you, that your dad uh, took that chance. Uh, was took a lot of courage on his part and was a great example to you. Um, what about any, uh, uh, was that kind of the extent of your early jobs working in his store or did you have any other early jobs that sort of shaped your experiences? I do actually. So I worked at McDonald's and every time I share the stories, people laugh because like McDonald's, ooh. But you know, McDonald's, at the time that I worked at McDonald's, it really taught me the customer service skills and how to give a customer experience. And when I worked there at the time, it wasn't a franchise. It was McDonald's corporations, right? Managing all their stores. And I used to remember that there was a word that they would say, we're gonna, you know, we could get buzzed. And what that meant was that the corporate, from the corporate office, the high level executives were dressed as customers and they would come into the store and order your food or their food. And there was an order in which we had to deliver it within 60 seconds. So, you know, it was the, I don't remember the order, but it was either the soda first or last, but we had to give it to, you know, give it in that particular order. We had to dispose of the food after 10 minutes with these little (laughs) silver little cards that's a 10, five, we had to swap them out. But the one key thing that they always looked for was the way you treated customers when they came in. And so we were trained, like I'm sure almost everyone's being trained today is, we would have to say, good morning, welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you? And it always had to be with a smile. Mm. And I was always remember being smile, like having the smile, smile on my face. And when I handed over their food, it was, thank you for coming. Please enjoy your meal. And that to me really shaped the way I started to treat people because a little simple welcome to McDonald's with a smile made a person's day, thanking them for coming and made a person's day. And so I teach my employees that we, you know, the customer experience has to be positive all the time. And even though we're dealing with them over the phone, we have to smile all the time. That's a great, great story. And, uh, and I'm glad you brought up McDonald's because we've had several people on my podcast that have worked at Burger King. Um, so, so we needed a representation from McDonald's, uh, which, you know, was definitely part of my childhood, uh, growing up. And I, and now kind of in the latter part of my career, I jumped into the restaurant business. And so this whole idea of hospitality and consistency and those small things that you do, uh, to make people feel good and just to hear how you were 
taught that by uh, you know the corporate, uh, which was based there in Chicago, the corporate McDonald's, yeah. and I've, I've been to the campus there. It's really neat um, yeah. what they do. So you know, great learning. Can you think of uh, maybe an unexpected learning from an unexpected source along the way? You know, I'm going to say that it wasn't a work environment necessarily, but it was when I first joined my first mastermind coaching group. And one weekend we had to we had to do like a, a weekend retreat, right? And it was about learning our, about our hero's journey. And there was 10 of us in the room and they were all women because it was a mastermind group specifically just for women. And we had, to just, we had to start sharing our hero's journey. And I remember that I was number nine because I didn't really want to speak. And so I waited to the end. Mm-hmm. But during everyone's journey, they were sharing their stories. And many of them got very emotional. And I started to just ask myself, like, what am I doing here? I am here to grow my business. I am not here to see people cry. And so when it got to, my, to me, it was my turn. <laughs> I remember I was sitting there and I was like well, I don't think that my story is relevant and no, I'm not going to share. And I kind of guarded myself from sharing this. And so my coach who never really personally met me came up to me afterwards and said, you know, you really need to work on being very, on being real and and being more authentic because you're very standoffish where you didn't want to open up and that's blocking you from growing in your business, right? And I started reflecting on that because it wasn't the first time that someone had told me, but what was interesting is that it came, you know, this time it came from somebody who absolutely didn't know me. And so I had to start reflecting that on that. And I started to go on that journey, right? And say, okay, why am I behaving this way? Why am I being so authentic? And what I also knew as I was reflecting was that when I was going to meetings or if I was going to a networking event, I would leave very exhausted and very unhappy. And there were times where after the fact, okay, they didn't necessarily tell me in the beginning, colleagues would tell me, you were very intimidating when you walked into the room. You were unapproachable. Mm-hmm. And what I learned through that process was that I was I began to be labeled as the powerhouse in Chicago, you know, Chicago, my business, because I was growing my business fairly quickly at, at one point. Or I was this and I was that. And I felt like I had to step into those shoes of being that person that I really wasn't. And that was hindering my ability to be a good leader. It was hindering my ability to be a good mother. And it was putting a lot of pressure on me to be something that I really wasn't. And so when I switched that and started to say, okay, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be me, right? So I hung up my suits because I wanted to just be very business casual or I decided to laugh a little bit more and smile a little bit more, which was always within me, but I wasn't raised in an environment where we were probably allowed to do that. You know, I think my parents were so focused on working very hard and there was a certain routine that we missed certain opportunities to be happy. I, I saw my business grow. I saw my relationships with my employees get better. I saw myself be more comfortable in my shoes. I was able to engage more freely. And the following year in this coaching group, we had another weekend retreat. And it was amazing how many people came up to me and said, you know, I like you now. Mm. You know, you are you are free. You feel warm. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I was like, oh, my gosh, was I that bad? You know, but I, I guess I was not bad in the concepts of bad, but. 
I was really struggling with my own identity, which was really hindering everything around me. So that was a really unexpected learning experience for me, because when you hear from people, you know, like your spouse or your friends, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's just you. Right. But you don't really take the moment to look at it and really reflect deeper. So I I really uh, work hard and being just really being real and genuine and being honest about any approach that I take to my business and my personal life now. That's such a great experience that really changed you and allowed you to just be yourself and and then see the success that would come from that. How much of that came, because I know you speak a lot to women's groups and women entrepreneurs. Um, did you feel that maybe some of that original hesitance to be yourself or being maybe a little bit more closed or standoffish was something that you almost had to do to be successful growing your business? It was a combination of things. I, I feel that we tend to shy away because of embarrassment about your upbringing, right? Or it's a taboo to talk about certain things that happen to you. And there's a, everyone has a story and everyone has pain. And sometimes we want to share it, but we just don't know how to do it. And so if you can inspire someone to say, listen, I was there, you know, I, I understand, you know, where you're coming from. And you don't have to be stuck in that place anymore. You can you can take that leap of faith and create something for yourself. Then if I can change the mindset of one person, then it was all worth it. And many times or often in the past, my siblings would say, I can't believe you talk about that, you know, mm-hmm. or how you are okay with that. And I said, you know, my response is because it's okay because we didn't live a perfect world. My father was an alcoholic there was domestic violence in my home and in the in our confine of our home internally nobody knew what was going on but externally we looked like the barbie family because we we looked like the barbie family because you know we all we're we're six and we're all different in features and some of us have blue eyes some of us has green eyes some have brown some are darker some are lighter we looked happy but no but nobody knew that pain and when I, you know, when I think about how my story or how when I started to speak help my business, it helped me by allowing me to learn how I value my business. So why would I undersell or undervalue my business when I know it's worth this? You know, and maybe it's because when I was growing up, I may have felt less valued as a result of what we were going through. So sharing and just telling new startups or someone who's you know, seeking some inspiration that anything is really possible regardless from where you're coming from. You know, I started my business with $500. I didn't know if I was going to make it. And that was the last $500 I had in the bank. And I was a single mother myself and I had a mortgage, but I put my faith into it and said, I'm going to make this happen. And so I did. Was it comforting to you in that first mastermind group, which is really a peer group for leaders to hear the other leaders, you said, you know, you didn't really want to be at a place where people were crying and vulnerable and everything, but did it in some way allow you to identify with the fact that everybody has a story just like you? Yes. Yes. And what I learned from that, and also by taking another leadership alignment weekend retreat was many of us create a business out of a passion as a result of something in our lives from our past. And when I did the leadership alignment weekend, we were talking about business and I was stuck. I was truly stuck. 
And I got frustrated and I said to the facilitator, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get what this has to do with my story about when I grew up or when I was a child. And I was really upset. And he's like, okay, we're gonna work this. We're gonna work this out. And he asked me to close my eyes and he just like, you know, just concentrate, get in the mindset of when you were a child and just concentrate. And I did, and I started seeing myself as a child again. He's like, what do you see? And I said, I see me jumping rope. What else do you see? And it was a lot of me, me jumping rope, me trying to be happy, and then seeing the other part of my parents and stuff. And then I, you know, blurted out, I am the voice for the voiceless. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I didn't have a voice when I was a child. My parents didn't have a voice. I said, we were voiceless. And the reason why I created Metaphrases was because I want to create a voice for those who are voiceless themselves. And all, all these years, I know I was passionate about my business, but my passion even grew tenfold as a result of seeing that and visualizing that my story as a child created my business today. And that, to me, was very powerful. Well, and you've, you've obviously done an incredible job and much more to come in, in developing your business today. How have you turned this into your own platform for thought leadership and getting out there and telling this story to others? You're a speaker, you're an author. Uh, what kind of an impact do you, do you believe now that that has had on other business leaders? I have inspired others to take action. They, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Latina, right? Born in the to a single family mother, right? Coming from nothing, from poor, poverty, you know. <laughs> I I remember the days where my mother would feed us and I didn't understand this at the time, but she would say, okay, everybody eat. And she would have a cup of coffee and I would be like, mommy, you know, tu no va a comer. And she would basically ask her, are you gonna eat? She's like, no, I'm full. I'm just gonna have coffee. But the truth was that she there wasn't enough food. And so for her, her meal was that cup of coffee. And so sharing that is giving hope to people who are stuck in an environment or a community where they think everything is impossible. But when they hear, and I inspire them, listen, you know, I was a single mother with only $500 in the bank. And that's where I started my business. You know, the city license in Chicago is 250 So I had 250 left to make <laughs> work, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, if you, if you shift your mindset around money or you shift your mindset about um, opportunities and vulnerability, everyone, everyone can get out of the current situation that they're in if they just surround themselves around the right people. If they can say to themselves, you know, I could do this, it makes a world of a difference. And Often when I speak, I have at least one person who comes to me in tears and says, you just changed my life tremendously. Mm. Because when we look ourselves in the mirror, we don't see that we're worthy of being successful or that we can do things to better our situation. We think that we have to get stay in that situation. You know, it's like a 360 circle, right? We have to repeat. No, we don't have to repeat. You know, you are your own destiny. You are the one that creates your future for yourself. And and that's why I do it, because I never in a million years thought that I would be here. Um, you know, my parents were afraid for me. They thought that I was a, uh, that was a huge, huge risk. But I also knew that deep down, deep down inside, I was a risk taker. And, you know, it couldn't get any worse than that, right? And I didn't think that I would be where I'm at today. I am very happy and fortunate that I am blessed to be here. 
And so for that reason, I have to find ways to pay it forward to give other a chance to, to, to take that risk. And you're doing that in a big way, Elizabeth. Um, what uh, what part of leadership do you feel like you still need to improve upon? What, what are you working on nowadays? I am working on <laughs> words of affirmation. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I would struggle with saying thank you or showing others that I appreciate the work they were doing because I would think that, hey, you have a job. This is what you're getting paid for. Do it, right? But the truth is that every employee wants to be recognized, even your own children. They want to be acknowledged for the work that they do. And so I wasn't, I didn't grow up with that either, like words of affirmation. Like we didn't pat each other in the back. We didn't often say, I love you, things like that. And so I, I struggled with that for a very long time. And I well, honestly, tell you, I still struggle with that. It's a work in progress for me every day and a very simple thing. It's a simple thing, right? To say thank you or you did a great job on this. But sometimes we forget. But I, when I do say it or, I, you know, I see a smile on my employees' faces because they're like, wow, you know, I just got to thank you. Or she just said, hey, great job on that project and stuff. So I need to continue to do that because I am. So right now I'm on medical leave. It's been eight weeks. I'm going back to work this week. And I've had nothing to worry about because my employees are doing a fabulous job in managing my business. And so words of affirmation as a leader is so key for all of us that we get wrapped up on our own theme, our own things. And sometimes we feel that this is what they got hired to, hired to do, do it instead of taking a step back and saying, you know, your business, my business, Metaphrasis, is not where it's at because of me. I'm the main behind it. My business metaphrasis is that because of my employees, period, and my interpreters. Let me give them credit, too, because they're amazing. Well, um, and what a great experience, um, though you may probably would have rather not be on medical leave. But the fact is that you were able to exit for a, a, a long period of time and see the business working just fine. And, uh, and so, uh, when you get back, I want to hear lots of words of affirmation for, uh, <laughs> to the team that, uh, has kept it going. And I remember those days and, and, uh, I remember somebody, one of my employees saying to me at, at one point, um, because we had built this tremendous culture and we were known for it and all that. But they, he said, you know, a couple more attaboys or girls from you would be nice. And, and it really hit me that, you know, I, I just wasn't doing that enough and, <laughs> and just not saying thank you or not saying just great job and, and realizing the impact that that could have. Um, you know, you've had this, uh, uh, tremendous career, and I say so far because I think there's much more to come for you, Elizabeth. If you were talking to a, a younger person starting out in their career, what kind of advice would you give them? It's going to be very simple. It's ask for help. <laughs> and when we start out, we feel that we need to do everything ourselves. Maybe because you don't have money or you don't have the staff or because you're very just protective and controlling about how you do things. But when you do ask for help, it's an amazing feeling to be able to relinquish some of the responsibilities of doing things you really don't care to do. And, you know, when you open up your business, you have a passion to do X, Y, Z, right? Not bookkeeping and accounting or <laughs> administrative work. And so when I started my business, I did the same exact thing where I was doing everything. I was working 16-hour days because I, was, I would say I can't afford it or I don't have the resources. 
or I don't want anyone to know that I did not know. And the moment that I started to ask two of my mentors back then, I don't know this, can you help me? They were very shocked to hear me say that because they had encountered many business owners in my industry that would pretend to know things that they didn't really know, but I would ask. And then when they commended me, I was like, wow, this is really great. I'm gonna start asking more because I don't know certain things. And then if I had other business owners tell me that there's resources for you out there, you know, simple things like if you don't know how to do your bookkeeping, outsource it to an accountant. Or if you're applying for certification, the Women's Business Development Center can do that for you. I would have been less stressed out. I probably would have got eight hours of sleep versus 16 hours. And I probably would have been able to grow a lot faster and added the staff that I needed, right? But the mindset that I carried at the time, at the time was I didn't, um, I shouldn't be asking for help. I need to do this myself. And I had the money mindset that I couldn't afford someone because I didn't, you know, but all that changed for me the moment I started to ask for help and start seeing that very commonly said very often to business owners that you have to work on your business and not in your business. Yeah. And you realize how much you actually don't know <laughs> uh, yeah. when, when you finally start talking to people. And sometimes we just put up the walls and feel like we have to act this way and act like we know what we're doing. But the fact is most of us don't know what we're doing and and uh, takes courage to reach out. And when you first do it, you go, man, why didn't I do that a long time ago? I just had lunch with a, um, a young man last week who just started his business six months ago and he was telling me that he already has a coach that he talks to on a weekly basis and i thought wow you're just starting and you've already got this incredible resource uh he's so much further ahead than we were back when we would go years before we'd even bring someone else in to talk to them or seek advice and so i think that's great advice for others is to seek help whether it's helping to operate your business or just have a sounding board to talk to because most of us were not trained to do the work that we're doing let alone everything else that goes along with with running a successful business and you've certainly done that um well what a great story and just inspiration elizabeth i want to end with my five quick hit questions kind of like the game of uh association just tell me kind of the first thing that comes to your mind um name a leader that you look up to carla harris ah and (laughs) how about a great book that influenced your leadership style good to great by john collins yeah that's a great one uh how about an all-time favorite movie miss congeniality ah that's a good one it's Um, a funny one (laughs) yeah uh and do you have a favorite tv series you like to binge watch I do. Great anatomy, healthcare. There you go. <laughs> oh wow! Um, all right, and uh, lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know? That I'm really funny. <laughs> no, I think that's uh, <laughs> we can tell. Um, well, that's good, and I hope you get a chance to use that humor uh, both uh, with your your kids and and with your employees, and that certainly gets us through life a lot of the times. And um, wow, what what a, as I said, inspirational story, Elizabeth. I want to kind of reflect on some of the things that you shared that I think uh, that I've taken away, um, and and one was just uh, I can just picture you. Uh, in 
when you were um, in nursing school and you were working in the hospital and, and the doctor wanted you to translate and, and got technical and you couldn't be technical and you just said, you know, you're going to be okay. And even though you, you were worried that that was maybe the wrong thing to say, uh, I think about today, you know, the patient experience, uh, which I uh, is an industry I've been a part of for many years and just think, you know, more doctors need to do that. Just just say simply, you're going to be okay. And and uh, and yet that that helped propel you into starting this business. Uh, the fact that you're contributing in so many ways, you know, we look at our companies that are uh, you know, there's nothing particularly sexy about being a translation service or in my case, a call center business, but uh, you give voice to the voiceless, right? Not only to those that are your customers, but to all those interpreters and people that have come from different cultures, come from different countries, who you are helping create a voice for them in, in this world, I think is just so commendable. Uh, I love what you learned uh, from working at your dad's penny store. And after you saw the courage that he has, the risk that he took, you were able to take that risk. He taught you about honesty and respect, that he was able to give credit to people that just couldn't afford to pay for the things that they needed that day. And yet, um, he paid it forward and he got paid back. And they all were good people that knew that he was putting himself out there for them. Uh, just incredible lessons from early on. Uh, I love how you learned about customer experience from McDonald's. And, uh, and while, uh, you know, people might say, oh, you, you know, you worked at McDonald's or Burger King or did fast food, man, those are some of the greatest lessons in life about what it means to treat a customer right. And the fact that you could get buzzed by the, you know, the mystery shoppers who could come in and the pressure that puts you under, that formed these habits for you long-term that were really important. And, uh, and I think what you talked about uh, at the end and then in the middle there about how you learned in that mastermind group from people that said, you know, Elizabeth, uh, I'm kind of intimidated by you. You seem unapproachable. And you were probably taken by that to say, you know, that's not who I am, but that's who I think I need to be. And at some point you realize that if I open up, if I'm vulnerable, not only is that going to earn the trust of the people that I have relationships with both in my company, um, but I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel like I can be myself. And that's such an important lesson to learn. Um, and now you spend time as much running your business uh, by telling your story. And, and I think that's really important. The fact is everybody has a story. Everybody has pain. You had pain with your, your, your way you grew up, with the experiences with your dad. All of those things have made you who you are today. And it's okay to share because you're no different than anybody else. You've taken the time and, and worked the hours that's necessary to start a business, to grow a business, to have all the problems along the way that the rest of us have. Um, and I think that your advice for people about saying that no matter what your current situation is, if you want to change it, you can just say, I can do this. And, uh, uh, and it's okay to ask for help along the way. Um, and, and, and I think such, it seems like a small thing, but the, the, the area that you're still growing in is I think one that all of us need to never forget, which is that people want to feel valued. 
And whether it's our kids or our spouse or friend, um, our employees, people want to feel valued. Um, and so those small words of affirmation, that small handwritten note card, anything that we could do in this crazy digital world to make people feel good about themselves and the contribution they're making is, is really important. Uh, so, uh, gosh, so many lessons and takeaways that I've had. And Elizabeth, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Paula. And I want to appreciate and acknowledge you for the amazing work you're doing by bringing leaders um, with a purpose to your podcast. It's it's wonderful to see what you're doing and having everyone share their story. It's very inspiring as well. Well, thank you very much, Elizabeth. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time, 